Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and today I'm talking to a young woman who has done a lot in her 18 years. Louisa Aquino is the president and founder of Peace of Mind, a registered nonprofit made up of young people working to eradicate the stigma surrounding mental health. It started for her when she lost her best friend to suicide at the age of 15. Since then, she's become a public speaker and brought other young people to share their stories. And what started in Winnipeg with a group of teens has made its way to Toronto and now taken her around the world. Here's her story. You are an 11-time award-winning mental health advocate. Uh, do you want to maybe share with other people going forward after taking all the awards? <laughs> it's been like a really wild ride. Um, I think that <laughs> it's been filled with a lot of opportunity and I've gotten to meet a bunch of amazing people. I've gotten a lot of, I guess, like exposure to the world and just meeting different types of people and um, having these awards, of course, is just like a bonus on top of everything that I get from what I do and just being able to help other people. You've been involved in, in social activism since uh, an earlier age, like age of nine. What were you doing back then? Uh, when I was nine years old, I was in fifth grade and I saw on the TV that there was a typhoon that struck the Philippines and it was called Typhoon Ondoy. And that's where I was born. I was born in Manila. Hmm. And I remember that my mom told me that morning, look at what's happening, where you're from. This is where you should have been, where you could have been. And this is the injustices. And these are the different things they struggle with. Like something as simple as walking to school in a flood or um, girls don't really have as much of a right to education as men do. And just simple things like that, where I would complain about having to walk to school in like perfect plus 25 weather right. for 10 minutes, as opposed to like these people who are walking two hours a day to go to school. And so I asked my mom, what are you doing about it to help these people? Because you're telling me that, oh, you should be thankful, but I want to know what can I do? Mm -hmm. And so she told me, well, at my office, we're having a fundraiser and the same thing, basically saying we want to help and give back. So I said, OK, so can I do that, too? And I guess at first, like she thought I was not serious about it because I was only nine years old. Right. And um, it was my first week at my new middle school. And. I went to my principal's office and I said, hey, like, this is what's going on. Can I do something about it? And so along with my two siblings, I have an older brother and an older sister. We raised money and we donated it to the Philippines. So we had bake sales and we had sold root beer floats. We collected non-perishable food items, clothing, toiletries, and we sent it off to the Philippines. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And so I think we got about $600. And when you're six years when you're in fifth grade and you're nine years old that's a lot of money sure it's yeah just a lot of money and so just doing that made me feel a way that I've never felt before and it kind of showed me that giving back to other people is something that I really enjoy doing no matter how much work it is so you were you mentioned already you were born in Manila uh, but came to Winnipeg shortly thereafter uh, give me sort of the timeline of your story where it begins and and where it's taken you mm -hmm. so Basically, I was born in Manila. I was born in 1999, and I was nine months old when I moved to Winnipeg. And when we moved to Winnipeg, we lived with family members. So we lived in a, in a house as well mm -hmm. um, with another family. And then we moved into a one-bedroom apartment, which was me, my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister. Mm -hmm. So like, as you can imagine, a one-bedroom apartment for five people uh, isn't a pretty picture, especially <laughs> when you're trying to grow up with two other siblings and you're the youngest. Yeah. Oh, well, how how long did you stay in that one bedroom apartment? Um, we didn't move to a house until I was five years old. Okay. Yeah. So, so you you would have years. some some memories of that then. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I just remember like being young and we lived in a not so safe neighborhood as opposed to where I live now. And I just think about how how far life has come from that moment on and it doesn't my story doesn't just start with me it starts with my parents and it starts with my parents coming from a place in Manila that only had a bedroom and they had to share it between their families and other families mm. and that's where my story starts my story starts with the struggle that my parents went through and it starts with just knowing that they came from a place of basically poverty and finding their way to put three of their kids through university and so that's where my story starts. It's just realizing that I come from a lot more than just a wealthy neighborhood in Winnipeg and that I wasn't always 
this fortunate to have what I have and that I come from a lot more than just being able to say like I'm successful in this moment because of myself but it's also because of there's people in the past and there's people who have had to work hard and make sacrifices which I think I look back at and that's what inspires me the most to give back and to um, do the most to give back to the world give back to the community and just keep inspiring other people sure so it comes from from your parents it starts uh yeah. starts before you 100 percent. what are they like my parents are the most inspiring people i have in my life they were raised obviously by two amazing parents as well my grandparents as well mm-hmm. um but my parents is where it all starts because they're just amazing people they have pushed me and told me that as long as you want something and you want it bad enough you will always get it and i really believe that because I know that escaping the cycle of poverty isn't necessarily an easy thing and it's not very common, but for them to skip from one class to another class, um, not just like economically and socially, but just like within the world is inspiring to me because I know that they had to face a lot of struggles and a lot of barriers in order to get to where we are today. And Mm. so they're just very, they're very giving, they're very supportive. And of course, like you never see eye to eye with your parents all the time, but they they always remind me and my siblings like you need to remember where you came from and to just keep your feet on the ground because no matter where you get in this world like you're only who you are because of where you came from hmm. and hmm. i think that's a very important message is to remind, remind yourself that nobody starts at the top of the mountain nobody skips the whole climb no one just lands there you have to always remember that you had to work to where you were before and that there are people still that want to work to the heights that you're at and at the end of the day like you will always have room for improvement. You'll always be able to get better. And I think that's something that keeps pushing me as an individual is that I know that even though for an 18 year old, I've done a lot, but I think that there's always more that I can be doing the more there's more that I can be giving back to. You got that early taste at nine years old of what it was like to do something about a cause that was, you know, important to you. Where did you take it from there? What what came next? Um, When I was in grade seven, I went to We Day and there was a speaker, called, uh, his name was Michelle Chiquinine, and he shared a story about how he was forced to shoot his best friend. Mm. And he was doing the vow of silence, which is basically you don't talk to, you don't talk for a whole day. And the purpose of that was so that people would understand what it's like to be silenced and what it's like to speak and not be heard. And so as a girl, as a as a female, as a student, as somebody who is very entitled and someone who has a lot of opinions, I think that it was really important for me to experience what it's like to not speak and to not be heard. Because we live in this world, we live in this country where you can say whatever you want to say and you can do whatever you want to do. And I realized that not everyone's that lucky to have that freedom of speech. Not everyone is lucky to be able to go to school and have an education, especially young girls. And so... In seventh grade, I created a fundraiser for the Vow of Silence, and I raised about $4,000 in three days. Wow. And uh, I kind of realized that there's other people who want to step up to the challenge that want to experience this with me. And so with that money, we sent it uh, through Free the Children to build a school in Kenya. And the amazing part was that it was an all-girls school that they got to build. So that was an amazing experience for me when I was in seventh grade, so I was 12 years old. And that was the next step for me. And then after that, it turned into creating a me-to-we group at my school. And so that is something that still goes on to this day. And they basically just um, continue on with initiatives that run through me-to-we and we day. And they continue to build schools and fundraise money for clean water and like access to education and several things like that. Um, and so that was the next step when I uh, passed grade five. <laughs> It often happens, and it doesn't always happen this way in life, but it often happens that uh, sometimes it takes really, really sad things happening or or tragedies happening uh, in order for good to then come out of that. Uh, Uh People come together more strongly after something has happened to to shake people uh, or to wake people up. Uh, And you had uh, an experience like that, uh, losing a best friend to suicide at the age of 15. Tell me about that, how that affected you. I think the one thing that I can take away from it is that I learned that there's something good that can come out of any painful situation. Mm. And that's something I've carried along with me my whole life since then. 
Um, it's something that made me learn and realize that there's so, there's so much beauty in the world, and whether it's being hidden behind pain or it's be, been hitting, hiding behind hurt, it's still there. And losing a best friend at 15 wasn't the best feeling in the world, obviously. It was definitely something that hit me harder than anything that's ever hit me before, um, even till this day. Hmm. And I just think that no one should ever have to lose their friend that young, whether it's your best friend, a normal friend that you see at school or like a family member, like to lose someone at that age is just something that you'll never forget. And it's some, it's a feeling that you'll never forget as well. So tell me a bit about your friendship and, and um, you know, how you knew each other through the years. Mm -hmm. So we went to the same elementary school, middle school, high school, church, and we lived in the same neighborhood. And so he was two years older than me. And as we were growing up, we always became like, like he was a lot like a brother to me. And we would always say like we were best friends and like say we would always be there for each other. And just growing up, we always just spent a lot of time together. We would walk home together. We'd hang out at breaks together. And um, just one day, like we stopped kind of talking and we kind of faded away. And I remember the last day that I had ever talked to him was I was walking out of the front doors of my school. And he said to me, like, he called my name across the street and I kind of looked at him and said, like, yeah, like, do you want to talk? And he's like, oh, like, are you going to cross the street? And I said, oh, like, I'm tired. Like, can I just talk to you tomorrow? And he said, OK, like, have a good night. And mm -hmm. like, that's the last I heard of him. And um, our friendship was definitely like a complicated one because he had struggled a lot and I was always going through it with him. And as a as young people, as people who don't get to necessarily talk about mental health and talk about the struggles that we experience within school, um, within other relationships, and we don't get really, we don't really know how to talk about it. It was always hard to find out what the next step should be or how to necessarily help yourself or help the other person that you care about. And so just growing up, it was always just a tough relationship to understand because as much as you cared about a person, there's almost, there's only so much you can do for someone that doesn't want to be helped and so much for someone that doesn't know how to ask for help. And mm -hmm. so just growing up, it was, growing up with him was amazing. He was a really good friend. He was always, he was always smiling and um, everyone always knew him for someone who was always able to put a smile on someone's face. And so basically just being able to honor him, honor his life, honor his smile and just to be able to show people that suicide is something that can be prevented but a lot of the times because we don't know how to talk about how we're feeling talk about mental health and mental illnesses suicide does happen and it's a real thing and it's not something that we should ignore you know when something like that happens i think the natural tendency for people around it is to immediately start to think of the uh, try to find answers right to think of why why did this happen what could i have done differently uh you know where could i have maybe picked up on something going on I think you've realized down the road that maybe what's more important is actually focusing on creating solutions uh, so it doesn't happen again. Uh, tell me mm -hmm. about sort of the shift in perspective you had or the the thoughts that went through your head, first in the immediate aftermath to then with the progression of time. Mm -hmm. So I realized that when he had passed away, I kind of just sat in my house for like a week and kind of like you just said, you sit there and you look for answers. And what I always say is that there was something within me that made me realize that if I'm just going to sit here and just wonder and look for answers like they're written on the walls, like I'm never going to be satisfied. I'm never going to be happy. I'm never going to come back from this. So why look for answers when you can't undo what already happened, when you can just prevent it from ever happening again, when you can create solutions and create resolutions and create goals for not only yourself, but for people around you and for society to try and work towards to ensure that this never has to happen again. Because once you know how it feels to be on the other side of things, you never want anyone else to feel that way. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that sitting there and just being upset and being sad is acceptable, but only to the point where you know that you need to get back up and still live your life. And if you're really trying to do something about it, you need to get up and you need to turn your thoughts into actions. How did uh, peace of mind start within that time frame? So it actually started a few weeks before Miguel, my friend, had passed away. And it was just something that I realized was a need in our society. And it wasn't really until Miguel passed away that really pushed me to uh, go forward with the idea. And peace of mind basically came up because I realized that the three things lacking in terms of mental health awareness is conversation, 
awareness and education. And so I feel like when you have those three things, you're able to get people to talk about what they're feeling, get people to reach out for help and get people to talk about certain things that are stigmatized in our society. And so I think the the most important part about youth mental health and the awareness surrounding it is having youth talk about it themselves. Because to have older people who are in their 40s and 50s say, oh, this is what youth need and this is what youth in our society are experiencing is totally unfair because they're speaking on behalf of either youth or they're speaking on behalf of what they experienced 40 years ago when they were our age. Sure. So time has changed. And so time has 100% changed. There's so many different factors um, that we have now that they did not have back then, such as like social media and other aspects. But there's just a bunch of different things in terms of youth mental health that I think are lacking. I think that mental health resources within universities are lacking. Mental health resources within high schools are lacking. And there's just so many different things that I want to be able to tackle. But I think that it's so much more effective to have youth speak to youth than to have adults speak to youth. Because I feel like you're more likely to listen to someone who looks like you, thinks like you, and experiences the same things at the same time as you, as opposed to someone who doesn't. So what was that first first event that Peace of Mind put together? How did that go? Uh, and, and what was the kind of lineup of what was going on that evening or, or that afternoon, whenever it happened? So Peace of Mind holds events called YAMIS, which stands for Youth Against Mental Health and Illness Stigma. And so at these events, we have high schoolers from across the province in Manitoba. This was the first one. And we had it at a theater. And we basically had a lineup of speakers and performers that would share their stories surrounding mental health. And so we had students that would talk about uh, suicide attempts, students who talked about sexual assault, students who talked about self-harm, students who talked about what it's like to be depressed and have anxiety, students who talked about how it feels to not be able to open up to your families or to anybody. And that one only had about 100 people. Mm-hmm. And so to have 100 people, I thought was like amazing. I was 15 years old and I was like, oh, I started my own nonprofit. This is amazing. 100 people. And I realized that there's a lot more people in the world that need to have a safe space like this than 100 people. Sure. Yeah. But uh, that one day was just um, an eye opener for me to see that there's people who are willing to share their stories and there's people who want to have the platform to share their stories, but don't necessarily know where a safe space is to do so. And so in Yamas, we also have an open floor session where anyone in the audience is able to come up and share their stories and share their experiences, um, talk about what inspired them throughout the day. And we had a bunch of people come up more than expected to share their stories to the point where we were running out of time. And I just think that's that shows the power of simple conversation where people are able to talk about their feelings and people are able to get up and just be spontaneous and share that this is how I'm feeling. And they can do that in front of 99 other people. How is your perspective uh, changing during this time? Uh, I mean, going from first, maybe talk about what, how much did you know or, or how much were you experiencing of what it is to, to struggle with mental health before you started to see I mean, your friend's suicide and, and sort of a, a cascade of other suicides in Winnipeg at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I always realized that mental health was something that no one liked talking about. So when I was growing up, if I ever struggled with anything, what I like to say is that when you're struggling with a question in math, you don't get up in front of the class and like tell your teacher, oh, like I'm struggling. It's really hard for someone, someone to admit that they're struggling because it makes them look weak and so it's the same thing with their mental health like I was never someone that would go and say I'm struggling with this or like I'm stressed out or I feel overwhelmed or I think I'm I have anxiety or I'm anxious about this it was never I was never really the type of person to do that and I don't I still don't think a lot of people are the type of people that would um, admit that they need help or that they feel weak at a time and so my whole thing about struggling when I was growing up was just being able to accept that I can't do things alone I was always someone who found pride in being able to be independent and being able to do things on my own. Right. And when I wasn't able to do so, I think it kind of messed me up and made me think like kind of just hesitate to do things and just second guess myself. Right. So as this is going on, you start peace of mind. You start hearing other people sharing stories uh, of what they're going through. What's going through your head hearing all these people? Uh, what are you learning about uh, about mental health at the time and um, and about what has become such a passion of yours? I learned that it's always the people who you never expect. I think that's the one thing that I learned. The people who struggle the most will always be the ones that you 
didn't expect them to be. So the ones you uh, think are are have it all together, so to speak, are the yes, ones who 100%. are the yes. most successful or whatever you would deem as mm-hmm. being. Yeah. Yes. And not to say that there's other people who don't have it all together, aren't struggling as well. But like, I was always surprised the most by people who always seemed like they had it together. And that's the one thing that that taught me was that you can never be too sure of who's struggling, who's not. And you can never judge a book by its cover. And I know growing up, like, we all look at each other and say, like, oh, this person has it together. This person's, like, doing this or this person's doing this with their lives. And this person's being successful. This person's not. And you really, it doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day because there's so much a smile can hide. And I think that's something that really taught me as I was doing all of these mental health initiatives was the fact that there's so many people in the world that will always hide what they're feeling. Right. And you can never be too sure. And just knowing that there's other people that look like me, that are the same age as me, that have the same interests as me, just knowing that they're struggling as well, it makes me feel like I'm not crazy, like I'm not alone. Like there's people in this world that I can relate to and they can relate to me. Hmm. And I think that's the most important thing is that when you're struggling, you don't necessarily want to stop feeling anything. You don't necessarily want to end your own life. Sometimes it's just you want the pain to stop. You want to stop feeling alone. You want to feel like someone cares. Right. And when you have a community where you're able to come together and share these experiences, share your stories and let other people know that you've been through something and chances are they've probably been through something similar, it really helps. Yeah, even just even hearing, it's, I don't know if it's quite like misery loves company, but hearing other people have yes. have been through similar things. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so, so you have this first event, uh, the first Yamas event, 100 people show up. Where do you take it from there? How do you see it start to spread across uh, Manitoba, first of all? We had um, schools want to create their own peace of mind groups. And so that for me was like a big shocker because that wasn't really a part of the plan. Uh-huh. Well, what we was the plan? Getting- we didn't have a plan. That was <laughs> we didn't have a plan. Um, you would just have to kind of fake it and say you had a plan, even though you didn't, because like you're 15 years old. Like, right. what do you know and stuff like that? Okay, yeah. And uh, so yeah, even though it wasn't really part of the plan because there was no plan, um, I think it was just an amazing feeling knowing that there was people supporting me and people who were was supporting peace of mind and people who wanted to sh- come on this journey with us to spread awareness and conversation about mental health. And, and so, and are these sorry? Are these um, high schools within Winnipeg, or are these uh, high yeah. schools that are okay? So it's still within Winnipeg at this time. Yeah, within Winnipeg. Yeah, and then uh, so that's what started happening, and then we had a second Yamis that grew to about two hundred people, and then we had a third Yamis that grew to about two fifty plus, like around two eighty, and then we had our most recent one, which was February last year, and that one was seven hundred people almost. Oh my gosh. And that one was actually helped and funded by the government of Manitoba. So to have their support and to have um, 700 people come out to our event was just an amazing feeling to have to go from 100 to 700 in two years. Um, I think that showed like the real need for mental health awareness and conversation within our, not just high schools, but just in general. Like I feel like people who are leaving grade 12 and going to university, they will struggle with their mental health a lot more in university as well, just with the stress. And um, it just showed that conversation can go a long way and conversation can do so much for some people. And I think that we really need to start working together as a community and as a society to ensure that students and people in general are feeling safe about talking about mental health and mental illness, because at the end of the day, conversation can save a life. And we've witnessed that a lot of the time. Okay, I want to rewind just a little bit to the beginning of Peace of Mind. Uh, You're starting this, uh, you're driven but you don't really have a plan as to how, mm-hmm. how it's going to progress. How do you go about starting a nonprofit at the age of 15? Like what are the, do you, do you Google, <laughs> are you Googling like how to start a charity or what's, what is Honestly, the process yeah, to start? 100%. Yeah. yeah, that was it. Um, I Googled, how do I register my own nonprofit? And uh, I was getting to it. And of course I was 15. And I procrastinated a lot. And basically just one day, I have no idea how someone found my number, but I got a call during school and I just saw like the call ID was like government of Manitoba. Hmm. And so probably important. And so I got up and I answered the call and there was a really supportive person and uh, she worked for a branch of the government of Manitoba called Healthy Child Manitoba. And she told me that they had plans to create more projects and awareness and conversation 
for mental health and youth mental health with Manitoba, but this was several years ago. And she basically told me like they love what we're doing and they want to be able to help us. And so we started to work with them quite a bit and we were able to work with them on some projects, like give our input and give some feedback. And they also just supported us in being able to do the paperwork in terms of running the nonprofit and just be able to show us like, this is what you need in order to be a legitimate nonprofit. This is, you need a board of directors. This Uh is like a specific role. And um, at 16 years old at the time, like I had no idea, like I have no idea how to do those things. And so we are very, very grateful for their support and just being able to know that the branch that we were working with of the government of Manitoba was just supporting us a hundred percent. And even though they were adults that were supporting us, they still let us do what we believed youth needed to hear and what youth needed to have. And so just being able to work alongside them was just an amazing experience and just definitely an important part of our growth as a nonprofit. How long was that process of the idea being in your head for peace of mind and then actually having a registered charity? How long did that, that whole thing take? I would say a year. A year, um, yeah. It's it's pretty weird to think like I was 14 thinking about doing that or 15 almost. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I just remember sitting in bed one day thinking like I really want to do something about this. And um, I think the thing about when I was younger was I'm not too sure how people react because I'm not doing something that normal people necessarily do, quote unquote normal. Um, but just I wasn't doing something that was common amongst my friends, that was common amongst middle schoolers and high schoolers. And so it was a lot a lot of it was just fear of what other people would say and what other people would think. And so that idea to actually like put actions behind it and to turn that vision into something more was just it was a long process to get up off the ground simply because you never really know what people are going to say. And in, in this world, people always have a lot of things to say. And so I know that a lot of the times opinions can always stop you from fulfilling what you want to do and fulfilling what you want to accomplish. So just as a young person to overcome that and to just understand that I need to do what I believe is right. And I want to do what I'm inspired to do. And I want to do what I've been dreaming of. I think that that took a while to just motivate myself. At what point do you get your best friend's parents onto the board of directors? How did how did that happen? So that happened when we were doing the paperwork and the people we were working with at the government of Manitoba basically told us like a board of directors is people who can like back you and like support you in the ways that you can. And I thought what better people will support my message and my journey than my friend's parents himself, themselves mm-hmm. because Growing up, I always knew them because we went to the same church, same community. And I remember the day after he had passed away, I went to their house to um, look through pictures and flip through pictures of my friend. And so kind of just remembering that they will always be the people that will love him more than anyone else in this world. As much as I loved him, I know that no one else will love them as much as he did. And I know that I'm doing this and peace of mind was only created because I was so inspired by just knowing that people out there want to make a difference and knowing that there's people that are willing to join me in my journey to create awareness and conversation starting mental health. But most importantly, I was I was 100% pushed by Miguel and just knowing how much that he made and contributed to my life and knowing that even though he's not here doesn't mean that his name has to die or his legacy has to die or his smile has to die because there's a lot more to him than just letting that go simply because he's not here anymore. So to have his parents come on board really meant a lot because their support is 100% the most important thing when it comes to Miguel. Like they were able to say like we support this 100% and we're able to provide you the support that you need and we want to make sure that we're helping you as much as we can because at the end of the day, he was my best friend and he's a person that really, really pushed me to be an advocate for mental health. And just growing up, he was the one that taught me that not everyone has it easy in this world. Mm. Sure. And that's important, right, to, to have, I mean, Miguel's parents on board because the nature of something like suicide, I mean, some people, yes, absolutely are, would be on board if by losing a loved one, they say, yeah, go ahead, this this needs to be talked mm-hmm. about. And other people might be the opposite. They might they might not want those things talked about. Uh, mm-hmm. You might be wondering, you know, okay, am I am I intruding on on sharing their story? Is it my story to share? So it must be it must be nice to have them involved. 
um yeah I'm 100% like beyond thankful for them they've always understood the fact that I want to share a story and I want to make sure that he's never forgotten and he's just such a beautiful person and he really made a big difference in my life because before we were very close friends I always thought that the world was as great as as I had it and I always thought that like no one else was going through anything simply because they would smile and he really taught me that there's so much more to a person than how they look and how they act sometimes and um, he really made me into the person I am today because he showed me a lot of different sides to the world and he showed me that you really never know what someone's going through and so without him and without his family's support like peace of mind would not be possible hmm. now was and was he showing you that while he was still around or is that you yes. know in, in, yeah 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 100 percent. like as we were growing up he always we always talked about how our lives are different and how our friendship and everything was just like no one really knew we were friends um simply because we were very very opposite and so um just being able to realize that there's different people in this world and there's different kinds of people in this world um is something that's very important to me to realize that not everyone is the same and being able to interact with different people who are like you and have aren't like you and are like you and have common things and differences i just think it's important to be to be able to socialize and interact with all these people and that's something he really taught me so as peace of mind grows and you're putting yourself out there and um and really being a a force for this cause for mental health that you're doing interviews you you become a face and a focal point for people to then recognize you and and want to share their stories with you and as great as it is that that happens that people are sharing their stories that can also be hard for any one person to take on to be that ear for for all kinds of people Mm -hmm. how how have you handled that role in in um, now realizing that being somebody that is seen as okay mental health advocate you kind of become a magnet for for people to share their stories with you I've actually never been asked that question before but like I always had the answer so like I'm glad someone (laughs) finally asked that question um because I always think about that and I realized that before I was even known as a mental health advocate, there was something about me that made people always tell me about their lives. Hmm. And I kind of, I go to the University of Toronto right now and before I met anybody and got to know them um, and before anyone got to know me and what I do, I had about like five or six people come and tell me their life stories when they had no idea who I was or what I do. Hmm. And so I don't know if it has to do with the fact that I'm a mental health advocate. I know it definitely adds on top of it, but to have people share their stories to me, it does, I feel like it's a blessing and a curse that people are able to open up to me. Sure. I think it's a blessing because I want to be able to help these people and I want to be able to give people my feedback and give them my advice and give them my opinions and let them know that people out there care about you. But it's also a curse because it is a lot on one person, especially when I was 15 years old, to have people say these things to me and show me these things and tell me what they're experiencing. That was a lot to handle. Right. But I think the one thing that I always kept in mind was I know that at the end of the day, there's nothing in this world that I won't be able to overcome as long as I believe that I can do it. And I know that at the end of the day, it feels really good knowing that I can give back to these people. And just being able to talk to these people and be friends with these people and give them insight on what I've experienced and let them know that they're not the only ones going through these things. And sometimes it's not always just a 10-minute conversation or an hour-long conversation. Sometimes it's just a text. Sure. Or sometimes it's a like a link to like something positive. Or sometimes it's like sometimes it will be an hour-long conversation. But uh, at the end of the day, like I know how it feels to be on the other side. And I know how it feels to be on the side that they're on. And I think the most important part is that you're trying to create a community and a society where you have compassion and you have empathy and you have, you're able to put yourself in other people's position. And I think that that's something that I want to be able to practice what I preach. I want to be able to show people that there is people out there that do care. And I think as a young person, um, I never really saw it as a job or a chore. I always saw it as something that will help me learn more about people, will help me grow as a person. And also help other people as well, because at the end of the day, like I feel like when you're able to share and talk to a person and have a conversation about mental health, they'll feel comfortable with it and they'll be able to have that conversation with other people. And it's kind of going to be a train reaction where you're able to have people talk to other people who talk to other people. And I just think that the most important part about mental health awareness is having to have that conversation. So 
to have people want to have that conversation with me when I barely know them is definitely something that I'm truly thankful for that people are able to trust me. Um, but yeah, long story short, it does get hard to hear these stories because it does remind me of Miguel and it does remind me of certain things in my life, but that's a part of the job, I guess. Like everything's pretty bittersweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I guess it's the added responsibility or the, the weight that can come with that. And, and that happens to anybody. I think when you, mm-hmm. when you're brought into somebody else's story, mm-hmm. but it is an honor. Um, it really is. I, I I know, in my own experience, how beneficial it has been to talk uh, and to be able to speak and, and share uh, my story with people. And I felt that to be a really great experience, and it feels really good. Uh, what has it been like for you in in those you know in these past three years to uh, be talking so much about mental health uh, and to be able to share your experiences, uh, what you went through with your friend. Uh, the things that you've learned since. Uh, how how has all of it felt for you? It's been really, really overwhelming, if I'm being honest. Mm. Um, being a 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old in high school, university, trying to do school, keep up with running a nonprofit, trying to keep up with hosting events, fundraisers, doing all these things. Like, Of course, I have an amazing group of people that I'm working with in peace of mind. They're amazing. Would not be where I am without them. But just having that added responsibility where... I need to, I feel a need to keep giving back to the community because I feel like this is what my purpose is in life. I think that my purpose was to be able to have this conversation with some people, with a lot of people, to be able to share the importance of having these conversations. And it was very, very overwhelming. I remember when I was first getting started simply because I never, I've never known how to say no to people. Mm. So whenever someone would say, oh, can you come speak here and can you speak here? I would always do it because I didn't, I never knew how to say no. And it added on stress and added on a lot to my plate where I was still trying to go to school, have a full timetable and all those things. And especially in university, now that peace of mind's starting in Toronto, it would just, it's been very, very overwhelming, but it's come right. with a lot of blessings and it's come with a lot of opportunity and it's come with a lot of new experiences and new opportunities where I'm able to test the waters and test who I am as a person and test myself as a leader and as a mental health advocate to put myself in different situations and to see how I handle things. I think that it's an important part of growth to um, struggle. I think struggle is a huge part about part about growth. It's being able to see how you can go over these obstacles. And yeah, it's just an overwhelming experience, but being able to have this at such a young age and being able to experience different things and to do these interviews, to talk to young people, to talk to older people, to do TV interviews and all these media interviews is just, it's been such a wild ride, but I'm thankful that I'm able to have this opportunity. You know what I'm thinking as you're talking about university is, I don't know if you've seen graphics like this before, but you'll see it's like a triangle and there's, there's sleep, there's good grades and there's a social life. And they say like, choose two. I don't know how you fit running a nonprofit into there and speaking (laughs) and all of those. (laughs) I I barely do. I barely do. How have you learned to say no? Have you gotten better at, at setting some boundaries for yourself? Um, no, if I'm being honest, no, (laughs) no, not at all. I had a grade eight teacher. Her name was Mrs. Mack. And she always told me like, you're going to need to learn to say no, or you're going to get sick. And I got sick that year. I got sick, very, very sick. And, uh, to this day, I still find myself needing to stay in for a week straight to catch up on sleep, to catch up on just taking care of myself because I'm unable to say no to people. And, um, I'm working on it. I think, I think I'm working on it. Uh Um, I really should be working on it. And just, I know that it's kind of ironic that I'm not really taking care, taking care of myself when I'm the one saying, mental health is important, make sure to take care of yourself. And yet here I am not being able to say no to people, losing sleep over it. And there's just a lot of things that I still need to work on as a person. But yeah, saying no definitely is not an easy thing for me, especially because I know if I'm able to do it and I, I'm more than capable of doing it, then I don't see why I shouldn't. Right. Um, even if that means like losing like, three, four hours of sleep. (laughs) Um, I just, I always, I've always felt the need to give back if I could. Yeah. Well, I think that just makes you more human. If, if you're, if you are saying something and then not always being able to live up to what you, you know, what you preach, I think Mm -hmm. that just (laughs) makes you like the rest of us, if anything. (laughs) Who who do you go to? Uh, Who is your person that you turn to or your support group that you turn to uh, when you're taking all of this on and you need to uh, have someone to talk to? Um, I would say my friends and my family. I have 
like a small circle of best friends and I have my family and um, my family will always be my best friends as well. Um, my family, they've always supported me in everything that I do. They understand that I may be slacking in an area. I may be slacking with being able to call them and call back home once or twice a week, but they understand because they know that I'm busy and they know that when I talk to them, like, they're able to ask me about how, my day and how it's how everything's going. Um, when I struggle about school or anything, like they're always there to listen. Um, I have a sister who is my best friend. I have my brother who's my best friend. And I have my parents who are just more than supportive um, when it comes to school, when it comes to nonprofits. They're always there to offer support in any way they can. And my friends, I have really, really, really good friends that would not get, like give up on me no matter how weird my life became, no matter how weird it became to see me on TV or how weird it became to see me on the front page. It was never, oh, she's too busy for us. They were just always understanding and to me, like, it really showed me the importance of having healthy relationships and friendships in your lives where um, you're able to lean on them for support. And at the end of the day, you won't be able to do everything yourself. And you're going to need motivation from other people. You're going to need that extra push from people that care about you and that you care about. And I think that that's really important to have that support system. And I'm just beyond thankful for mine. Tell me about the scholarship that you've created, uh, how that idea came about and, uh, and how it's come together. Mm -hmm. So basically, I got the TD scholarship for community leadership when I was in grade 12 going to university. So that was last year. And it's basically a $70,000 scholarship to go to any university you want in Canada. And I realized $70,000 is a lot of money. Yeah, and... you're, you're talking about like $600 <laughs> being a lot of money before. Now, now you got 70000 Yeah. Yeah, now we have seventy, and I, I, I'm beyond thankful for it. TD is blessed with amazing opportunities, but... At the same time, I think that I need to be able to give back to people who are advocating for the same thing as I am. And even though it's something as small as $500, being able to give it to four different students in the world just allows me to kind of show the people that giving back is equally as important as receiving. Like, I, I'm a, I really believe that you giving back is something that should be a priority. And so I always, I've always been someone who believes in giving more than receiving. And that's just how my parents always like raised us, like to never expect anything in return. And um, I always believe in good karma too, where it's like what goes around comes around. And just knowing that I'm able to help other students go to post-secondary, go to finish their education is something that I really, really love because I believe that education is the most powerful tool in the world. And I think that education is something that's so important that no one can ever take away from you. And so basically I created this scholarship in December. It's when I came up with a plan and I put it all together and basically uh, I want to be able to give two $500 scholarships to two grade 12 students in Canada, one $500 scholarship to a student already in post-secondary, mm -hmm. and I want to give one $500 scholarship to a student in the Philippines who's advocating for mental health. And that came about when I went to the Philippines last summer for an award and I saw that there was a very big gap when it came to mental health and mental health awareness. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that $500 in the Philippines actually does a lot. It can get you to two to three years of university, depending on what university you're in. Um, when you're in Canada, that only gets you like barely one class. Right. Yeah. And so um, being able to support a student in the Philippines like that, because that's where I'm from, and also being able to support other students, even if it's just something as small as paying for one class or paying for a few textbooks, I know that going through university can be a struggle. And financially, that's a whole different struggle, and it's an even bigger struggle. And so that scholarship came about just because I wanted to be able to give back to the community and I wanted to give back to people where I've been in their situations before where I've been a mental health advocate and sometimes you question, is it worth doing all this over school and like your grades are suffering sometimes because you really believe this, you really believe that mental health really needs to be a topic that's more talked about and just I wanted to be able to let them know that their work is being acknowledged. Hmm. The part about the Philippines and the scholarship for, for uh, a student from the Philippines. Uh, tell me about your, your trip back there for the award, uh, the people that you met along the way, whether those were other advocates like yourself doing that work in the Philippines, or how, just how that trip changed you. Um, I, the last time I was in the Philippines before that year was 2005, 2006. And so I thought I remembered everything. I thought I remembered it clearly, but I definitely did not. Just seeing as soon as we got out, of the airport just seeing K 
kids on the streets and seeing kids sleeping under bridges and seeing families live on cardboard boxes and seeing families live in small places. And even having, like for me, I have a first cousin, my only first cousins that live in the Philippines mm-hmm. live in a small hut and a jungle. Mm-hmm. And to think that the rest of my cousins are either in Winnipeg or in California just blows my mind. Just seeing like the differences in life and how uh, the one thing that really changed me was that these people are so happy. People back home are so happy, even if they don't have as much as I do materialistic wise, but they're still happy. They have each other and they have family. And that's where I really, really, really saw the importance of family, the importance of being able to just have each other's backs was something that I really learned on that trip. The other people that I met were amazing advocates as well for other different causes and other different initiatives from across the world. And it's the first time they ever had the youth award. And so I was just blessed to be able to have the opportunity to be the first one and to just experience what it's like to be back in the Philippines and to see other people, um, see how they live their lives, see the Filipino way and see the Filipino culture again was just such an amazing experience. And to just remember that um, there's so much more to life than materialistic things and there's so much more to life than just buying things because like mm. I, I know like we live in such a materialistic society where like you have to buy things to show people appreciation and show people love but my family in the Philippines like they have each other and they have it in the way that it counts and so just it really opened my eyes to just see the true definition of family also in terms of mental health uh, I was invited to speak at a few schools um, but then last minute, the principals had canceled because they felt uncomfortable, uncomfortable with the topic. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so in my head, I was kind of confused because it was like, well, I don't really understand because how else is it going to be not uncomfortable if you don't talk about it? Um, so that part was a little bit frustrating. Right. I was also supposed to meet with the vice president of the Philippines, but I messed that up because I booked the meeting in winnipeg time and they booked their meeting filled <laughs> and so they said are you good for tomorrow and i said i'm going to australia tomorrow and they're like no your meetings tomorrow and i was like oh my goodness like tell me i just blew a shot with meeting the vice president uh-huh. so that was awful and then i also got an email when i landed in australia to meet with the department of health for the philippines and they wanted me to skype call them in for their next big meeting but i was on a plane from australia to toronto for mm-hmm. the time that they wanted. So it was just a lot of, like a series of unfortunate events where I wasn't able to go through the, with these meetings, but to just know that they were acknowledging my work was just, um, it was just an amazing feeling. We're about halfway through 2018 right now. We're getting close to it. What is your hope for the rest of the year? Either things that you want to accomplish yourself or things that you hope to see uh, conversation-wise or around the topic of mental health? Uh, within the next year? I want to be able to have another Yamis in Toronto. I want to have one in Ottawa as well is my next step Mm -hmm. because I have a peace of mind member that moved from Winnipeg to Ottawa for school. So those are my two next steps would be to have a Yamis in Toronto that has about, I want to say 250 people um, because our first one had about 100. Uh So I want to have one with 250, kind of just following the same steps as as it was in uh, Winnipeg. And so I want to do that. And then I also want to have my first Yamas in Ottawa, obviously, with 100 people. And just just see where that goes. I want to be able to um, meet with different individuals and meet with different young people and just to hear their stories and to hear their experiences. Um, I think that the most important thing that I wanted to come out of my move from Winnipeg to Toronto was meeting new people, meeting people from different kinds of ethnicities, people from different experiences, different backgrounds, and um, I really want to experience that within this next year, within by 2018, by 2019. I want to know double the people that I know now. And I want to be able to really just learn from different people because I think that a lot of the education that I'm interested is in, interested in isn't necessarily within school. It's the experiences that people around me can give me yeah. and experiences that other people have. Um, simply because like, I know that at the end of the day, we all graduate with the same piece of paper. But like to have experiences and to actually live your life and to be able to know people and be able, be able to have these networks is just a completely different story for me. And that's my goal is to just really live my life to the point where I feel like I've done the most and what I can do to become 
an even better mental health advocate. Mm. I didn't hear setting boundaries anywhere on that list. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I should do that too. Um, But like, if I'm being realistic, it probably won't happen Um, because I just, I know that I love what I do and I'm willing to lose sleep over it. Um, I should put taking care of myself on that list. Actually, that will be on the list. Mm -hmm. Um, But just, I love what I do and I, I feel like I can't stop doing it. And if sleep was, if like losing sleep and like not having to sleep was an option, like I definitely would 100% do it because I love what I do and I love, um, the feeling that I get when I'm able to, when I hear that I've helped someone, um, because I know how it feels to have to lose someone to suicide. I just, that's something you never want anyone else to feel. Hmm. Maybe we'll finish with this quote. If you could uh, expand on this one, you've said before, it needs to be shown that getting help is the strongest thing that you can do for yourself. It's uh, talk a bit more about that. I think that means that at the end of the day, when you ask for help, you're not really only helping yourself, but you're also helping people around you as well. You're helping people see that you are able to put your foot forward and say, like, enough is enough. And I need to be able to ask for help. And even though people think that asking for help is weak, it really isn't. Because if you think about how many people ask for help, there's more people that don't ask for help than do ask for help. Mm. And so when you're able to show people, like, I have the personal strength and internal strength to admit that I am not okay and that I need help and I feel weak, that makes you mentally strong. And I think that that's something that people really mistaken is that when people ask for help, they're not weak for it. Right. If anything, they're stronger because they're able to say, I cannot do this alone. And we all know that's not an easy thing to admit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so just for people who are struggling with mental health to say, I need help and I need to reach out and I need to get better and I want to get this help. I want to get this treatment. Um, I think people need to stop looking at them as weak or um, dependent. These people are amazing people. These people are doing what's best for them. And at the end of the day, that's really all you can ask for because it's going to be a chain reaction where someone sees they're getting help. So they're going to want to get help or they're going to want to help someone else get help. And that's really how, it should be. People should be encouraging others to get help, not putting them down by saying they're weak. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you enjoyed the show, you can do me a favor and hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It helps other people to find the show. Also, pass it along to someone else you think might like it. If you want to keep in touch, a few ways you can. You can send me an email at storyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash storyuntoldpodcast. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Martin underscore Bauman. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was a story untold. See you next time. <laughs>